do 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 Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number, I'm not quite sure, because we're doing the interview earlier than we're actually posting. It's a Friday show. It's a Friday interview with people we love. But before I introduce our guest, I want to talk about what Zen Parenting Radio is. It's a podcast that will make you feel... Outstanding. Outstanding. And who, for goodness sakes, doesn't want to feel outstanding? I do. I do. Do you? I do. Awesome. (laughs) And always remember our motto, which is... The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Very good. So we have on today's show Miss, or is it Mrs.? Um, Mrs. Mrs. Alexa James. So let me tell you a little bit about who... Or Todd, it could be Ms., you know. That's like Isn't the... Isn't that what I just said? Ms. or Mrs.? Well, you said Miss, it sounded like. Did you say... I just, you're like, Miss. I said, that's what I said, Miss. Ms. M.S. What's the difference between Miss and Ms.? Oh, my goodness. Isn't... See, what mm-hmm. we were just talking about these things. Is it spelled the same? No. No. M-S. You don't spell it, son. You eat it. <laughs> there's M-I-S-S. Yeah. There's M-S. And then there's M-R-S. Okay. Time out a second. Let's back up the truck. <laughs> M-S is an abbreviation for M-I-S-S. No. Miss, is, isn't it M-S period? It, there's a period. I think some people and some people don't. But yes, there's, I think there's a period. Okay, so time out. <laughs> Mr. is M-I-S-T-E-R mm-hmm. or also known as M-R period. Correct. Ms. is M-I-S-S. I see where Ms. you're going, but that's not what it is. Ms. is something that a woman can use, so her being married or not being married is irrelevant. Yeah, that's called Miss. Isn't this funny? Can you help this me with exactly this? This is exactly what we were talking Alexa about. Alexa James? I think Miss, M-I-S-S, is for a younger woman. Exactly. I think it's under a certain age. Like your daughters, if they were going to get something in the mail, yeah, they could address it if they wanted to be formal as Miss, da-da-da. But you wouldn't say Ms. J.C. Adams? Let me give you an example. My aunt, Peg Jividen, who was a principal forever, went by Ms. Peg Jividen. Because you wouldn't say Miss, because like Alexa said, you get a visual in your head. I believe you guys know what you're talking about. All I got to tell you is I'm clueless. Well, now you know something new. I still don't understand what you're talking about. But I believe that you believe you know what you're talking about. I think we do. But why don't we move on to Alexa? Because that's what we're talking about today. Ms. Alexa James. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. Not Miss Alexa James. That would be awful. (laughs) She is a licensed clinical social worker. She's devoted her professional life to serving people living with mental illness. In 2013, Alexa assumed the leadership of NAMI Chicago Mm -hmm. as the executive director. You're like that head honcho. I mean... The top dog. There's not many of us. The big cheese. The big cheese. I I tell my staff they have to call me that. (laughs) That's what it says on the door. (laughs) Starting right now. Alexa worked with children and adults living with mental illness as well as those impacted by poverty and trauma. I think Alexa has a big heart. Yes, she does. She earned her master's degree in social work from Loyola and in child development from Erickson Institute. Alexa's passion is to see that our community is equipped to support those in need of mental health support and to end the crippling stigma that attaches to those living with mental illness. There it is. Forgot to turn it up. Oh. You get a double clap for that. Wow, that's really nice. So we know Alexa because we have a friend named Jess. Why don't you do your best to kind of open this up? Well, I was just saying to Alexa that Todd and I, I as a social worker, and also I went to school at Loyola too. I'm sure we weren't there at the same time because you're younger than me. I don't know. <laughs> I went when I was 27. What, what year did I graduate? So last year you graduated. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're so sweet. Yeah, look at is. her. Look at her throwing out the compliments. Yeah, she's good. Um, anyway, doesn't matter. I'm a social worker, so I've always been interested in mental illness. Um, obviously, that's the part. That's what I studied. That's yeah. what I was most interested in. Um, and also having our own personal experiences, of course. Right. Um, and so. But our friend Jessica Rapay, who is – what would you call her as far as NAMI? She's obviously a volunteer, but she seems to be a little more involved than your average bird, if you know She's what I mean. She's like the NAMI angel. Yes. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Our friend Jessica, who is the NAMI angel, she began she, – she started getting involved in all the events like the NAMI walks. Uh, and you know what? I'm saying NAMI, but it's NAMI. Oh, really? Yes, because I, I heard of the way Alexa just said it. Well, Chicago with our hard A's, you know. Yes. Ah. It's hard to avoid the NAMI. So she started getting involved in the NAMI walks and the Light the Darkness dinner, and we've been attending for years now. So this is very close to our heart, and Alexa is the person to talk to about this because of her work. Um, So that's why we're here today. So before we jump into everything, Alexa, how – or – let me say this a different way. Are there any personal stories to why you got involved with this organization? Um, obviously, it's your background and it's your passion, but why? It was kind of by accident, actually. Mm-hmm. I wish it was a little bit different. I mean, certainly we have in my family and in my um, my husband's family and my extended family pretty significant mental health struggles mm-hmm. and um, substance use issues. Um, when I was studying, I worked with kids in a group home, mm-hmm. and they were all really, really sad kids and really very dysfunctional and aggressive and um, lonely and harmed. Mm. And I thought, if I understood developmentally what went wrong here, maybe I'd be a better clinician. And so I went back to study child development and social work, and I just fell in love with professors who focused on mental health. And I thought goodness, this is so odd to me that this is such a prevalent illness and we treat it so differently mm-hmm. than anything else. And I had the pleasure of interning at NAMI mm-hmm. and worked there for a little bit and then left. But um, when I came back, I was so fortunate to be back with this team. So it was kind of by accident, but I'm sure guided by the fact that I had unresolved um, issues of wanting to help people in a more significant way. Mm-hmm. And with my incredible team, I feel like they're doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm totally paying attention to the words you're using because it feels so different to say mental health issues. Do you know what I mean? It's so weird, the stigma around Mm -hmm. words, because I feel like mental illness throws everybody off. But when you say mental health issues, it it really changes. And so what is the language you know, obviously, you're probably so used to it as are we that it's very interchangeable. But what is the language you use when we're when you're talking to people? I'm so glad you said that because semantics play a role. Huge. It's how people own it. Um, and I think mental illness can sound harsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had asthma. If somebody said you have a lung disease, it would freak <laughs> me out a little bit differently. Um, for us, our rule at NAMI Chicago, and this is not necessarily the rule with all of mental health professionals, which we hope will change, is that we use person-first language. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying the bipolar person over there the the schizophrenic person we're saying someone is living with this illness someone's living with bipolar disorder you wouldn't say the cancer 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that changes it because you're not identifying somebody just as their illness. You're identifying as them and they have some stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try not to say mental illness. We try to say mental health condition or really what we're starting to say is mental wellness. Mm. Oh, you so can't good. be well. You know, you, you, it's so interesting. Your mission is that you're guiding your parenting by your own sense of wellness. Mm-hmm. And we're saying that you can't be physically well either if you're, you know, from your neck up isn't um, taken care of fully. So we talk about mental wellness and person-first language. So I'm going to ask a question that I think is really going to be really hard to answer, but I, I agree that there's obviously a stigma uh, for mental well-being, mental illness, whatever word you want to attach it to. Well, let's use her language because I think that that's what this show is about is that if they use men- – and I, I wrote down two things. So if should we say mental health? Sure. Okay. So let's use that. Why – I completely agree that there's a stigma against it. it why is it why is the stigma there because it's it exists no doubt and part of your mission is to you know turn the light on mm-hmm. but how did why why did it get to be that way any ideas it's so it's so sad it's it's the most stigmatized against social issue medical issue and it's getting worse which <sighs> is unusual we're going um, in the wrong direction. We're going in the wrong direction. A lot of it, to be honest, has been the media portrayal of people as violent, mm-hmm. um, as unstable, as unsafe. Yeah. And so what is stigma? Stigma is you stay away from something you are um, afraid of. And mm-hmm. so people stay away from mental health issues. They stay away from families that experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really social discrimination when it comes down to it, right? Because Mm -hmm. folks are dying. They're not being rented to, they're not being treated. Um, Individuals with serious mental illness die a significantly younger ages than other people because their doctors don't take them seriously. Mm. Um, So stigma is playing a huge role when when lawmakers and media says to me, what's the biggest barrier um, for people with treatment? What's the biggest issue in mental health? I think people think I'm being fluffy when I say it's stigma, mm-hmm. but it's the biggest barrier and it's only getting worse. Um, and so we have a lot of work to do, but we know the secret sauce. We know it changes stigma. What? Mm-hmm. Contact with people with mental illness, people coming out and sharing their story. It's the same thing that happened with LGBTQ mm-hmm. and HIV AIDS. People stood up and said, I am a part of this community and I am impacted directly by this and I'm tired of seeing my friends get harassed or myself. And so I'm going to share my story. And we thought, well, you're my neighbor, you're my librarian, you're my dad, and I love you. And you can't demonize people you know, but we can demonize people that we stay away from. The people we keep at arm's length or we think we do because a lot of this stuff that you're talking about, it's all based on myths, too. A lot of the stigma and what and the way things are portrayed in the media, it's not even correct. So it's one thing to be like, oh, the media is hyping something up, but when they're hyping up something that isn't even truthful, you know, like uh, the issue, um, what what's coming to mind is issues with school shootings and that we, um, or, you know, terrorist attacks, you know, that we go, we say, this is a mental health issue. This is mental health. This And where that is a piece, don't get me wrong, because just by the nature of what they're doing, but it doesn't mean that everybody who struggles with mental health issues wants to be violent or even has that, you know, right. capacity. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so tough. I was listening to an interview the other day with a very well respect, a woman I really respect a national radio Mm-hmm. And the person that she was interviewing said they were talking about terrorist attacks. And, and she, she said, well, obviously you have a mental illness. You're committing these acts. And I thought, goodness, that is so irresponsible okay. because there is something going on 
when you do something heinous, right? Mm-hmm. But I, you can't ethically diagnose somebody that you've never had the interaction with. I completely, and if I'm sitting mm-hmm. at home and thinking, I think I, I think I'm feeling suicidal, or I think I'm feeling this, and I hear that on the radio, the likelihood of me calling and asking for help is just totally diminished. Thank you for that because that's a reframe for me. Me because too. Because we say that. I a always lot. say you, if you're going to shoot up a school, by definition, you are mentally ill. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, no, maybe that's not helpful. I think that, yeah, I think that we say there's something going on. There was trauma. There was wrongdoing. Maybe there was bullying. We can certainly have theoretical, maybe you just got diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, we have no idea what's going on. Or right. maybe you've been brainwashed by a larger terrorist organization, right? right. Um, it would be like saying every single person, I don't know if I can say this, but like every single person who committed who was involved in like Nazi Germany had a mental illness. Right. Oh. Um, people get brainwashed and get corrupted and get manipulated, but that certainly doesn't necessarily mean that they have mental illness by the definition that we have yeah. medically. Yeah. Um, so thank you. No, I thank you. And that certainly wasn't a target too. I've never heard you say that, but I think it's important to say, what does that do to people who are listening and thinking this is exactly why I don't want to be labeled? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, th- and that's exactly why we wanted to have you on the show because we need to break down, like even without, you know, the intention, we could be perpetuating stereotypes that are not true. I am already saying to myself that I've done that just by, you know, this reframe that we yeah, just had, but yeah. it, it gave me a, a little bit of an aha when you just said that. So it seems like you're talking, you know, we're talking to the people who do not struggle from mental health issues, but you're also uh, talking about people who do. And what happens, it sounds like from your experience is they choose not to seek out help because of the stigma. Mm-hmm. And what, what we're trying to do by having this podcast is to encourage us all to normalize it so that these people who do need some help, just like if you were diabetic, you go to a doctor, if you have something going on within your mindset, then you need to go to a doctor, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, most of us have pretty high physical health literacy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm healthy, um, but if if I were having a heart attack, even as a woman, which I know can be translates differently as a man, I would kind of know what it felt like. I know who to call. If I was experiencing depression and couldn't get out of bed, I don't know if I would necessarily know how to label that as depression. I don't know, oh, this is the type of professional I need to check in with. Um, and so we also need to do a better job of just increasing mental health literacy and starting really with pediatricians and, and other places who are credible mm-hmm. to parents and credible to children and can start having that dialogue. So perfect segue to this because I in my lifetime have experienced depression. Okay. I've also experienced anxiety. Mm-hmm. Todd and I have both, we, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show, but we've both had panic attacks in mm-hmm. our life that have yes. been pretty significant where when we figured that out about each other, we were like, oh my gosh, that's happened to me too. Now, right at this moment in time for the last couple of years, that's not something I deal with, depression or anxiety. At, at least, you know, we have moments just like everybody does, but it, not the kind of depression that I experienced like when I was 40 or when I was 25. That was a depression. So what language do I use? to explain my experience without saying, you know, I'm, I am not a depressed person, but I've experienced totally. it. What do I say? It's such a good question. We are just talking about this today because depression is really, well, first of all, I think it's awesome that you shared that. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. Depression is a varies on scale. Mm-hmm. Some people may experience major depression and they're, um, 
depressed their entire life. They need medication their entire life, maybe. Um, maybe meds doesn't don't work. We work with people who are chronically suicidal. Every day you check in on them, they're mm-hmm. thinking about suicide. And then there's people who have bouts of it, who would never self-identify and say, I had depression. I went through a terrible divorce at 24 years old, and I experienced clinical depression, and I have a mental illness. Mm-hmm. They would probably say, or what we would say, or what I would say is, I had some pretty significant mental health concerns, and due to da-da-da-da-da, I was able to um, live in a life of recovery. And now I know that if I feel this way again, there were some coping strategies that really worked for me. Beautiful. Well, and that's really, you know, this. these are the reasons why I'm a therapist. These are the reasons why we do this show is our tools and coping strategies. It's not about, oh, be this person who doesn't have issues. It's about Everybody has issues. So how do we deal with it? When I was when I experienced depression when I was younger, like twenty-five, and I think I experienced it even earlier than that. Now, you know, I can reflect on my childhood and be like, oh, that was a pretty big dip in seventh grade, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, didn't have the language to identify. When I was twenty-five, I had to figure out what to do to get out of that hole. And it was difficult and painful because really, in hindsight, I did it alone with a little bit of help, with a little support, but not the kind of support that's really available, you know? I mean, for if you didn't have family members or you didn't have a doctor or you didn't have somebody, you know, that that had language for it, what would you do? Well, and who is the family? I mean, you know, you don't know what to do. It's not inherent. And sometimes you don't even know yourself what's going on with you. And if you have family or friends or a husband that says, come on, get out of bed, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. It's not going to make you feel better. Mm-mm. So it totally, how are you creating these protective factors in your life? Or what are, you, what are you kind of born with? And how are we supporting people who are really struggling? Um, if my son was having an asthma attack, I wouldn't say, let's just sit and wait for a little bit and see if it mm-hmm. subsides. Come on, breathe deeper. Let's just go inside. You'll be fine. We take care of it. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that with mental health because we think we are all a little bit narcissistic to think that we can just control it and it will be better. And what I say is, God, if we could control it, you think we'd want to sit in this stuff? Right. So who is there to support you and what worked for you and how do we then do that for other people? Mm. That's, That's it. That's it. Yeah, there's a whole, you know, Kathy and I talk. Let me um, give you some of my... Um, baggage, for lack of a better term, regarding just like medication. I, I'm i not a big fan of pills. When I get a headache, Kathy has to convince me to take a Tylenol and things like that. And a lot of us have issues that can be taken, that can be processed through without the help of medicine. Mm-hmm. We talk about meditation. Mm-hmm. We talk about talking about your problems. We talk about diet. We talk about exercise. That's the, Those are all the things that you and I have shared. Holistic. On po- mm-hmm. Holistic stuff. Um, obviously there's a spectrum. There's people that cannot function without medicine. And the trick is how do we figure out who's in that group, who's in the other group and who's somewhere in between? I mean, I don't, I don't even know what my question is, but isn't that Mm -hmm. something that we struggle with? Yes. We struggle with looking at everything comprehensively and holistically. It's not typical in the medical field. We think recovery means taking your meds. Yeah. And the recovery model for mental health is not just taking your meds. It's treatment undefined, whether that's therapy, whatever, social support, mm-hmm. so important. Who's checking in with you? Who knows your triggers? Who knows how to help you keep you safe? Housing. Do you have somewhere to go every night? Do you have somewhere that makes you feel safe? And a feeling of competency. 
Are you working in a field? Are you volunteering in a way that makes you feel like you are contributing? Um, and everybody has a different level of that. So we say that meds is never just the answer. And for some people, you're right. Some people have to take it because there's just organic brain dysregulation. Right. And there's some things that can be done with social support and yoga and nutrition that can also help balance it out. But it's being open to finding what works for you. And I would say being really flexible because some people are so surprised that when they take that meds, oh my gosh, it took me 10 years to do it. And now I can actually go to therapy. But I was too cloudy before to even engage in therapy because I just couldn't even focus on coping. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's giving yourself a break yeah. and knowing that it's a process, which is so interesting to me because we often say people with a mental health issue um, are not very motivated. They're the most motivated because it's so hard. Could you imagine trying to work at 100% when you feel like you're at 10% all the time? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, the, the stamina that they do show on a daily basis. But even that word show, you can't see it. You can't look at someone and say they are depressed. Right. You know, this is not something. That's the thing is I think when I even say, oh, I was pretty depressed at 40, I don't think there's anyone in my life except Todd who knew that. Really? You know, and I, well, yeah, it was not visual. I and, kept and doing what I was doing. Wouldn't you admit that there's probably like you shared it with me because we're partners and yeah. all that, well, you but were, you probably didn't want to share it because at least I wouldn't because I don't want anybody to think that I have these issues. Right, right. Would you say I would say that, and but I also, the, the gift of me having had those feelings earlier in my life, like when I was 25, and, and for lack of a better way of saying it, kind of having some tools to get out of that hole, mm -hmm. I knew what was happening, and I knew that there were reasons why. It was, it was more, it was environmental. You know, there were things that were happening in my life that was you know, again, I want to be so careful with my language, but causing it or maybe cause the big dip that I had to climb out of. So I wasn't really afraid of what was happening. What makes it so interesting is that the language is what makes it scary. Yeah. You know, it's when you really understand what's going on and you know what to do and, and you feel like, you know, I did have the support from you and I did have support from, you know, professional professionals. I, I was hopeful. And that's really all that you know, you just need to know that there is light, that there, you know, light the darkness, mm -hmm. right? That's the... Well, and you said that the word scared you because for some reason we think when we hear mental illness or mental health stuff, we think that's it. It's over. That's it's me over. for a lifetime. When mm -hmm. really the recovery is higher than cardiac surgery, mm. you know, <laughs> but we're most more likely to um, certainly go, go through that. And it's because you can see it. You can see a blockage. Yes. You can't look and see somebody how that someone's heart's broken or that there's like stuff going on in the brain. And certainly insurance doesn't cover that kind of stuff as kind of regulatory practice. So, um, yeah, the words are really scary. But the more that we all just talk about it and share, the easier it will get for people yeah. to talk. Well, and this is really important with children because I've worked with children so much and I know that you do too and have. And, you know, parents are so petrified by my 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 daughter or my son may have an anxiety issue or an And when they describe the symptoms, I'm like, yes, I feel a sense of, isn't that somewhat normalizing or doesn't that give you a sense of huh, knowing that there's a name for this? And like you're saying, that it may not be a lifetime, it may be because fourth grade has been really difficult and that they need support now, not worrying about what they're going to be like at 35. So with children, don't you find this is challenging? Well, it's also challenging, too, because developmentally, what's normal? Right. I mean, like, so goodness, true. like anybody who's worked with teenagers or has one, it's like, 
is it normal that you're icing me out? Is it normal that your groups of friends have changed very frequently? Is it normal that you're weepy more, um, that you're experimenting? What's developmentally appropriate and what's a sign? I mean, only 20% of kids who need help are actually getting it. 20%. It's really low. And a lot of that's because parents are gatekeepers and parents just don't know. Um, I've had parents say to me, I'd much rather use um, my child use drugs and alcohol than medication. I don't want to go to the pharmacy. They'll know my kid's crazy. Mm. Um, we've had... We, We've had um, pa- parents say, I'd rather my child be arrested than be a psych patient. Um, so, so there's like real, real stigma. And it's just deeply embedded. And I will call myself out. Sometimes I put my judgment hat, hat on and I see some bad parenting at Walmart or Target or whatever it is. And I'll say, Kathy, those parents are nuts. And I use the word nuts or crazy. I get and, frustrated. And that um, perpetuates what we're trying to bring to the surface, right? So well, I'm calling myself out. And just calling anybody nuts or crazy. Yeah. It carry it, it these are not good descriptors. Right. You know, it, it's basically just summing up a person and saying that's all they are. Right. And they may be and the people you're seeing at Walmart may not be dealing with mental health issues. They may be angry. Yeah. <laughs> They're just having an emotional experience. Yeah. But the words but I the choose words, to go correct. is exactly what we're trying yeah. to bring up to the surface. And so just for clarification, and I'm actually doing this just as much for me as the listeners, there is a difference between having an experience with mental health, like having a, you know, um, you know, like a kid who, like you said, who's a teenager and they're feeling depressed and they're, they're overwhelmed just because their body's changing. All these things are happening. They're having an experience with it, but it doesn't mean that it's always like, and again, this is where it gets tough for me, even as a therapist. Is that a diagnosable disorder or is that an issue that we can deal with right there? Or does it matter either way? Well, I think you're saying, is it, does it mean it's chronic? Right. Chronic. That's a, that's a good word. Yes. No, and it doesn't mean right. it's chronic. It can ebb and flow. And I think the issue for diagnosis, to be honest, is an insurance issue. Like how are they billing for this? And you have to have a diagnosis. Exactly. And that was part of the reason that I had to get out of that line of work is because I would have kids come see me who were grieving the loss of a parent or, you know, and the whole idea of grief being part of the DSM, that's a whole nother story, but who were going through, who were foster kids who were being moved from place to place to place. And I had to like label them in the first 10 minutes that I was meeting with them. You know, that's a huge issue. Therapists, everywhere therapists are hearing this going, yes. Yeah, but mm-hmm. most of us non-therapists don't really know what you're talking about. So grief is part. <laughs> yeah, Alexa can explain. So, so well, trauma, yeah. uh, trauma looks psychiatric sometimes, right? So so the way that kids experience trauma and respond to it can sometimes look like the signs and symptoms of what we would see as like ADHD, which I'm sure we're all pretty familiar with. Maybe hyperactive, maybe reactive, difficult time sitting still, very oppositional, also sometimes developmentally appropriate. Mm. Um, but we don't, we can't bill, we can't get reimbursement for services to say, well, they're experiencing trauma. And so let's find them a mentor. Mm-hmm. So you have to say they have ADHD they have, so that the therapist can get reimbursed. The, the problem, of course, with this is that then is the therapist actually doing trauma-informed work or are they doing psychiatric work? Mm-hmm. And it's a different treatment model. Um, and it's not necessarily as effective if we don't actually treat the roots cause, which may be they're not safe at home. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't feel a sense of belonging. They don't know how to self-soothe. Mm-hmm. All of these things that really take a very different type of time and different kind of structure than one-on-one therapy and medication. I used to get in trouble a lot because everything I would do when I was diagnosing, they would be rule outs because I just couldn't. And rule out just means you're saying this is something we're looking at, but we're not sure. And you put RO Mm -hmm. or you would, you know, not otherwise specified. I'm not sure it might be under here. And I and I would be told you have got to 
outputs something. And that's a very hard thing to do. And we're talking about children here, but adults too, to say this is who you are because it's not all of who you are, but that kind of diagnosis and that kind of language can shift the way a person thinks about themselves. Pardon the interruption, folks. We'll get back to the show in just a minute, but I want to tell you about our three amazing partners. Are you looking to keep your family in alignment and healthy, ready to consider chiropractic care as a natural way to solve your health problems? Dr. Kelly from the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care has kept our whole family moving on all cylinders for over five years now. She is dedicated to helping families reach their health care goals naturally. Mention ZPR for $20 off your initial exam and get ready to get your power cranked up. You can learn more by going to chirotree.com. Are your kids getting ready to the age where you're thinking about braces? Dr. Kelly will address your dental concerns and how they may affect your overall health, function, and smile. His specialty is treating adolescent children. Many orthodontists straighten teeth, but sometimes it's at the expense of your child's facial development. Dr. Kelly treated our three daughters and specifically how their smiles will develop. John is on the cutting edge of this technology. You can learn more by going to chicagodentistonline.com. And finally, do you have a housing project coming up? Avid Painting and Remodeling is your answer. Jeremy Kraft is the owner and is a good friend. He has the two most important qualities you can ever ask for in a contractor, professionalism and trustworthiness. Jeremy has done so many jobs for Kathy and I, we've lost count. So if you have a project coming up, I encourage you to give this bald-headed beauty an opportunity to earn your business by going to avidco.net. Now, back to the show. person thinks about themselves, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. anyway, that's, that's good for, um, for us to have a better understanding of diagnosis versus having an experience. And again, it's, it's, the words can get in the way, but not everything is chronic. We mm-hmm. can all go through. You know, the thing that became most socially acceptable, I think, is postpartum depression. Totally. And why did that happen? Because people told their story, right? They invested a lot of money in research. Um, they started, you know, they started having conversations, national dialogue about it. Um, they, they prioritized it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and the way that they told the story wasn't that scary. It was normalized. It was everybody goes through. It's a very large percentage of moms. And they started screening. I mean, right? Like after six weeks, I didn't think it was that thorough, but they screened me. I was like, are you going to do the screen? They're like, we did. We're, you're good. <laughs> um, that was the screening? That was the screening. <laughs> you you're good. Fine. Um, but, but the problem, of course, then if there's no follow-up after that. But um, yeah, we, we've done it with other health conditions. Um, look at breast cancer. I mean, every NFL guy is wearing pink. Right. That, you didn't talk about that. Yes. And all of a sudden, it's such a part of our our regular experience. And we celebrate recovery. Yes. And we need to celebrate mm. recovery with mental health. And so when we open up with all of our, we said, what do you see the face of mental illness? And people say, you know, they list all of the things. And it's like, well, what about the social worker? What about the football player? What mm. about all of these people that we would never, it's invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I, I understand what you're saying. It's really nice to be around people who come out and say, I am living with a mental health condition and I am celebrating it today in this walk and I feel safe enough to do it because of the environment we're in. Well, and the reason that we asked Alexa to be on the podcast is because you give this kind of speech before we begin walking. And I, whenever Kathy and I are around anybody who inspires us, like you, we invite them to be on the show. Like, I don't know how much this has specifically to do with parenting as it does 
to be a human being, mm-hmm. but you're completely invested. You wear your heart on your sleeve and you inspired us that day. And we think that you have a message to convey, and that's what you're doing. And actually, in that talk, you shared something that I definitely wanted to get to. Tell us the things, and there may be more than one, but that have changed as of late when it comes, you know, ways you've been working with Chicago to make change, because this this is super valuable yeah. that people know this, like the 911 calls and such. Oh, sure. Yeah. Happy to celebrate some good stuff. So yeah. we all, and I, you know, I'll preface it by saying, I think that we hear pretty frequently that our either our community, whether it's, you know, Elmhurst or Chicago or Illinois generally or the nation cuts mental health funding pretty significantly. And so there's this, we are in crisis, we are in crisis, and we are in crisis. But there are some incredible leaders and incredible thought partners that we work with who have made like really significant strides in very, very tough, tough uh, circumstances with no money. <laughs> um, part of our, our job at NAMI, and um, Todd was great in opening with this, is, is trying to make sure that all systems are in place and are valuable and are ethical in supporting people in crisis. And unfortunately, when folks are experiencing a mental health crisis, they call the police, which mm-hmm. to me is like so goofy because could you imagine waking up and saying, I have stage four cancer, so I'm going to call the police. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, but but this is like a national issue. And so um, although we, we don't love that that's the responsibility that falls on the police, we don't think it's their necessarily their job. It's it's it is their job. It's, it's happening. It's happening, um, and that's who we rely on. That is the only system in place that we have for somebody who's in an imminent crisis. The, the, there's an emergency system though in Chicago, right? How do you get the police? You have to call nine one one, and sometimes the fire department shows up, EMS, and sometimes the police show up. Um, sometimes they both show up. So. There's been a lot of tragedy in Chicago, and we started examining systems and what's going right and what's going wrong, what's the community's role. And part of what we examined, and we sat down with the leadership at the 911 call center in Chicago, which is called OAMC, and said, how can we support your call takers so that they feel most equipped to handle really stressful calls? They're all stressful calls. Mm -hmm. I mean, they get five and a half million calls a year. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine? And every call is the worst moment of your life. And they don't know the outcome. Mm. They get it, and then they dispatch. They get it, then they dispatch. It's an incredibly difficult job, mm. um, and they, they they have to move. They don't get to like you know in my office you get to take a mental health break and a walk and a cup of coffee. They don't have that, so they were getting a lot of mental health calls. And what we were finding is that they weren't necessarily equipped with the questioning. They didn't know how to ask the right question to see if people were in crisis. So we, as of a few weeks ago, partnered with them and started training all 911 callers to better identify. So it's an eight-hour training, um, and they're better identifying the calls. And to be honest, it's a cultural shift. I mean, truly, they're like, well, we have to get off the call. We don't have time to active listening to skills, and we don't have time to emotionally label. And and, um, and they don't have social cues. They're mm-hmm. all over the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a lot of... Um, of challenges and barriers, but we're really excited about that. And that is going to better equip the police because if the police show up to a scene unequipped with no information, as has happened in several, several tragedies in Chicago, um, they're not going to respond in the most appropriate way possible. Mm -hmm. And also we may not be sending the appropriate officer to the scene. Mm -hmm. Um, There is uh, 2,300 or so uh, crisis intervention team trained officers in Chicago that are specifically trained to support somebody who's experienced a crisis. Mm. Oh, wow. So basically what you're saying is if the dispatcher knows this is an issue, this is a mental health issue, then you dispatch the appropriate officer to the scene. That seems so commonsensical to me that in that in you know 
it's interesting that that wasn't happening until now. Yeah, it's <laughs> well, so it's so interesting because it it wasn't happen it wasn't happening nationally. It wasn't happening anywhere. We were doing research to say what's best practice, like who's doing it better, and you couldn't really find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the problem is stigma is one of the problems. Most people who are calling nine one one, even if they're in crisis, don't self identify. Got it. Because they don't want to on their they think it's gonna go on your permanent record, say I'm living with schizophrenia and I'm suicidal and I need help. So they weren't self-identifying. So they weren't collecting the data. Mm-hmm. So when we said to 911, this is a real problem and we need to fix it, and they said it's not a real problem for us. We only get twenty five thousand calls a year. Mm-hmm. Small percentage of five and a half million. And I said, But I bet you if you started asking people in a really safe way, mm-hmm. that number would go up. And it will. It should be eighty over 80,000 calls. And a safe way and a normalized way where this is part of our system and this isn't okay. We understand what you're saying. I remember when some of my friends, people, acquaintances, coworkers um, were paying for things like therapy out of their pocket because they didn't want that information on their insurance. And it's the same kind of thing. We're so afraid that someone will get access to our quote unquote file. Um, So, okay, staying on that topic Mm -hmm. though, um, Tom Dart, Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's for all the dinners that we've gone to, all the light the darkness dinners. He's always there. What tell us about Sheriff Dart? Like, what is he doing that is so valuable for Nami? He's doing a lot of stuff. He's he is so great and he's so charming and he's so cute and smart <laughs> that he's getting a lot of national attention for his messaging, mm-hmm. which is, I am the largest mental health provider in the country, mm-hmm. and I don't want to be. Part of it is. Um, makes me sad because I don't want him to be a provider, you know? And like he's, he's a criminal a, justice system. He's a provider because of prison, because of jail? Because of jail. Because 43, about 43% of arrestees that enter his jail every day have a, are self-reporting a mental health condition. Wow. He's incredible. You know what he did that was really cool? This is a cool story. So he's doing a lot of stuff. He's raising a lot of awareness. There is some narrative I think that is missing, which isn't his responsibility. It's ours. But one thing he did that was really interesting, and this is stigma. He said, why are there so many people in my jail who have a mental illness? And and not only do they have a mental illness, it's like low level misdemeanor crimes, like mm-hmm. crimes of survival. That's not violent offenses. And so many of these folks are experiencing homelessness, so they can't pay a $10,000 bond, you know, for stealing a bag of chips. He said, I want to start figuring out who everyone is. So he put together a group of mental health professionals led by the the dreamy Ellie Montgomery. And she uh, they screen every single arrestee that walks in the door. So we witnessed it one day. It's like four hours. Mm. And uh, these guys are tired. They're, we saw all the men. They're tired. They have no shoelaces. You know, I mean, they kind of strip them of everything. And they're not cuffed. And they walk to the front and they talk to these mental health professionals. And the, they ask them things like, have you been hospitalized before? Do you hear voices? All this stuff. And they're they're so tired and they know they're about to go before bond courts. So they're usually pretty honest mm-hmm. and um, they self-report and you can go on his website every day. He lists a different number between 35 and 50% of people self-identify as having mental health issues. He said, this is great. So we'll show the public defender and then the public defender will show the judge and they'll release them mm-hmm. because this is goofy. Why are they here? Months went by once. He goes, my, my census isn't changing. What's going on? And the public defenders were like, we're not showing it to the judges because when we show it to the judges, they're less likely to release them and they give them higher bond. Wow. Because they are afraid of what's being told to them and they think they're more of a risk. Mm-hmm. 
Isn't that interesting? So it backfired. It backfired. So he's still screening everybody, and they're you know they're they're making a lot of changes, and there's a lot more movement, and there's great leadership over there who really care about this issue. But isn't that interesting? Why yes. wouldn't the judge help me? Help me with this. Why wouldn't? Oh, the we judge... had a moment. Yeah, I didn't explain. <laughs> I know. Well, I totally understood what you were saying. So basically, that so you know sounds they, like it's a good system. Well, the system was we are identifying these people have mental health issues. Yeah. So. They're, they're being put in jail and yeah. they're being and so instead they they offer that information to say these are like she said crimes of survival this is misdemeanor right. charges no big deal so let's not lock them up right. let's you know this Just is tell the judge but what the they were finding from the judge is that that idea that they had mental health issues made them to them seem more of a threat so the judge's perspective on who this person is plummeted exactly. and said, we need to lock this you person up. You got, got it. it. Thank you. So it backfired. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Accessing that or having that information accessible. So you realize, so basically. So the judges need some, some awareness training them, stigma training themselves. Right. This is not, this is a bottom up and top down. I mean, this is like why these conversations are essential because it's hard to do any good work if people have a already have a mindset about what it means. We have to gently and slowly, we could do it fast. Mm -hmm. I'd be fine with that, but shift to this perception. Right. Absolutely. And, and the the thing is too, as we know that statistically, or there's a correlation between cutting funding for mental health um, treatment facilities and substance use treatments at homeless shelters, that you're going to see a rise in the justice system, Mm -hmm. the court system. Um, but the, the piece, the narrative that we're missing is that, what does that mean? I mean, how do they get to jail? They get to jail by way of the police. Mm -hmm. And so we are just setting the police up for more and more interactions with folks who they're not necessarily trained to work with Mm -hmm. people who are uh, potentially in crisis, who may demonstrate unpredictable behavior and who may be further escalated by police presence. So until we kind of rectify that piece, until we fund adequately, we are going to see more tragedy mm-hmm. uh, because we're we're allowing law enforcement to do the job that cl- clinicians should be doing. Absolutely. And you were saying before we started taping, uh, we were talking with Alexa because she's having a baby. So we were talking about emotions of you know being pregnant, and everything. But <laughs> oh. Is that going to make you cry? It's so great. <laughs> it's so much better than toddler screaming. Yeah, right. I know. It's such a gentle little like. Well, you I got a little you. bit of that in your life too, don't yeah. you? Yeah. It's yes. louder. It's <laughs> much louder. <laughs> But we, she was saying that she, she, you just met with some police officers this morning and that they bring tears to your eyes because of the hard work they're doing. And that's really important for our listeners to hear, too, is that they're, the police force is doing what they can or majority, correct? Would you say that? Yeah, I mean, listen, it is the hardest job. We, we expect law enforcement to be the most professional, use the least use of force, mm-hmm. you know, always. Um, identify everything. Identify mm-hmm. everything correctly. And be officer friendly with mm-hmm. no training, mm. yeah. with no investment. I mean, we have not invested in police departments um, for a really long time. And then we're surprised when they don't meet our expectations. We have really high expectations for them. Then we should treat them that way. Mm-hmm. And we should invest in them as a professional as we would. I mean, listen, barbers have to go through more training than Chicago Police Department. I mean, mm-hmm. to maintain their license. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to treat people like we really honor their work. And there are a lot of incredible officers and any family member who has had to call the police because their loved one is in a mental health crisis is the worst thing 
something. Could you imagine that you ever have to do is call the police on your kid mm. because they're in crisis? And officers handle it so well mm. who have training and mm. um, are so kind and reduce trauma and connect people to care. And thank gosh that uh, they're voluntarily trying to do good work all the time. Yeah. And nobody, you know, nobody thanks them. Uh, it's a hard job. I agree with you 100%. And, you know, because the police have had some PR issues recently, um, it's just so easy to go down this path of the select few who make some bad decisions. When my father is a police, was a police officer, there's no way to properly explain how difficult that job is for no for getting nothing back in return mm-hmm. from, to, the, from the public. To be able to deal with the issues of society and, like you said, respond and be in crisis all the time and then be able to pull up that sense of compassion when it's right. necessary. You know, when you're describing that, and, I, and again, I'm not necessarily comparing one as as is they're not exactly the same, but as you're talking, it's just like the way we treat teachers, you know, the exact same kind of like, we want them to be great educators. We want them to be social workers. We want them to be parent advocates. We want them to be kid friendly. We want them, we like put all this on them, but then in our society, we don't honor what they're, you know, what they're doing and the role that they play. And so it's that same kind of, again, these are shifts in, this is reframing in the way that we see things. So thank you for sharing that about the police force, because- People need to know that. Um, so obviously every organization, whether it's right or wrong, is based upon how much resources you have at your disposal. So, And your website, I was you know, sneaking around on it, it, has so many amazing resources. And for us to try to encapsulate all the things that you do would be a disservice. But what other things that NAMI does that you want the other listeners to know, like just the resources or what you do. And, and will you say the website? We'll do it a few times, but... Um, NAMIGC.org? Sure, or NAMIChicago.org. Okay. okay. And we are... Um, it's going to be easier to navigate soon, which will be good. We're updating it. Um, I think one of the biggest takeaways is that I really want people to believe, and also every, you know, community has a different NAMI organization. So we're a little unique because we're quite large and we're mostly staffed by clinicians Mm. or um, people who are called certified um, recovery support specialists. So people who self-identify as having a mental illness and provide peer support. Um, One of everything we do at NAMI is free and everything we do is to support people who are impacted by mental illness, which is the professional, so the police officer, the therapist, the teacher, the individual themselves or the family. And one of the ways we do that is we run what's called a helpline. It's a warm line. It's Monday through Friday. Right now it's 10 to 5. Um, we'd like to expand it, certainly. And we field about twenty five to 2,600 calls per year with people who just don't know what to do. Um, we have no time limit. We don't bill. So we can spend hours on the phone with people if mm. they need to. Sometimes it's appropriate. Sometimes it's not. And everything we do is therapeutic. So if people need a certain type of psychiatrist and a certain zip code, we help find them. And what we figure out, we, we've done extensive training and we um, – use different techniques, but some people may call for housing, but really what they need is legal support or um, trying to navigate um, the social security income system. Mm -hmm. So we have a comprehensive list of resources. It's not just mental health. It's after school, it's veteran services, it's housing, it's emergency food. And sadly, the resources have diminished over the years. When I started NAMI, we had 1,200 resources in our database. Now we have 800. But we're getting more creative in like, how are we connecting people to care? And because we have really strong, wonderful partnerships in the community, we can help people investigate. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have no issue in calling on one of our partners or a hospital and saying, this was not okay. 
Mm. and we have a complaint and we're concerned and how can we support this family during this issue? So, so we, we provide really wraparound, which is unusual. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's because we're not limited by billing. And what is that number? It's Mm 312-563-0445. So 312-563-0445. So for, you know, that is basically a helpline. So it's, it's, you may need help or someone in your family may need help or someone, you know, may need help. And this is a, a place in Chicago that you can call to figure out what's available. Mm, that's fantastic. Yeah. And then you have a few events every year. So tell us about the events. We do. So we have to keep the lights on and yes. um, grow. It's really more about, it's less about keeping the lights on and more about growing. Mm-hmm. We've grown our staff by three in the last few years to try to be better and reach more people. We have a walk in September, a 5K that you always join us at mm-hmm. that um, is free and fun. And um, we try to raise a lot of money. And then we have a spring event where we honor local Chicagoans who've made tremendous mm-hmm. impact um, in the field of mental health. Um, and we have auctions and stuff like that. And that's March 30th. And this year it's going to be at the Garrity. We're so excited. Ooh, different place. Different place. Mr. Tom Keo of Keo Design. Um, the most beautiful flower. I mean, I don't, you can't even call it a, fl- I mean, it's just like design extraordinaire um, is generously uh, providing his um, beautiful space and his creativity tea and touches to our event. So that's March 30th. And we're honoring some really amazing people. Um, and there's also um, Art and Science, which mm-hmm. is a great salon in Chicago, is place. hosting an event for us um, on November 11th. Mm. And it's called Art and Soul. And they're going to do a runway show and be really fabulous and have awesome models. And they're raising money for NAMI Chicago. So it's amazing. It's unusual that people knock on our doors and say, we'd like to raise money for you. Yeah. So we're really moved and touched by it. So we're excited. And so tickets are available and I can provide that. Yeah, we'll put it in the link so people can get to it easily. So I'm on the website and there's a get involved tab. And one is membership. So you have membership, give, volunteer, advocate, and research opportunities. Do you want to talk about any of those things? Sure. Um, we need volunteers all the time. Um, all of our programs are, are, a lot of our programs are volunteer run. And as I mentioned earlier, the number one way to reduce stigma is through contact, through storytelling, through sharing your experience. And as I mentioned, every single NAMI program includes that. So whether it's bringing you with us to talk to the police to share their story or talking to young people in high schools about your story or your, or your loved one's story. Um, we also need, so we need volunteers for that. And we also need people to help advocate and speak to their local legislators about our policy agenda and ways to move this ship forward so that more people can um, receive services in Illinois. Membership is great. Um, It's sustaining your support. Um, And then, of course, there's also a donate tab. Mm -hmm. Um, We love those Mm -hmm. so much. Yeah. Uh, well, you know Todd's favorite thing in the whole world hmm. is anonymous don donating. anonymous giving. I just said donating. Yeah, uh, is it giving? Yeah, I just think it's um, it's the highest quality that any human being can have, in my opinion. And uh, sometimes I do that, and sometimes I do donate, and I tell the world about it because <laughs> you know. But there's some you know, and then these are not examples of anonymous donors, but the the Bill Gates and the Warren Buffetts. These people who give 99% of their wealth away when they die and and up until that point, it's just, I have them on my vision board because, Mm. and that's kind of what drives me to make money. 
Yeah. The so more we I have, the more away. I can give. Yeah, so, exactly. Anyway. And this, and what's so great about this website, there are so many opportunities. So if money is not something that you can donate, you can volunteer. Yeah. You can share your story. You can get involved. You can come to um, any of these events. Uh, you can do a walk. And so um, we just hope to, as these events uh, get closer, we'll talk about them on the show, of course. Um, but we, um, you know, we just hope to support you in any way we can. So what haven't we talked about that you want to share, Alexa? My goodness. I would just say that having what you just said is so important. And I hope that I didn't, by being flippant about donating, didn't um, reduce the fact that hearing from people and their recovery is what Mm -hmm. keeps us going and keeps us motivated at NAMI. But also is hearing from people who are currently still having a lot of challenge. Mm -hmm. What I think is kind of cool about NAMI, what I really honor is that we are doing like executive level stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but we are so boots on the ground and hearing from people and hearing what they need and what they want. And that shapes everything we do. Mm-hmm. Nothing comes from just like our team and decisions. It's all about this is what we're hearing in the community. This is what families are telling us. This is what's not working with the 911 system because it's what families are telling us. That's right. um, this is what was not a good experience with the police department, or this is a great experience with the police department. And this is what our police are telling us, boots on the ground. It's a very different narrative that you would get then from their leadership mm-hmm. or from the media. Um, so keeping us informed and letting us know how we can support you is the most valuable and makes us change um, and inspires us to be better. Mm, I love that. And you know, we never even said what the na- the acronym stands for. Oh. National Alliance on Mental Illness. Thank you. Do you know I say association sometimes? And so I have do to I. So do a lot that. of people. It's I okay. I like that word alliance, though, alliance. because it's we're all in it together. We're all in it you together. Know? So National Alliance on Mental Illness. Anything else, Todd? No, I just want to express my gratitude. You're a busy lady. You got one in the oven and you got a two-year-old running around and you're running this amazing organization. So I just really appreciate you taking the time out so i appreciate you guys giving me space to talk about it thank you no we'll have you back yeah we will more to come alexa james everybody thank you very much hi everyone thanks for listening we appreciate it and we hope you'll join us next time if you're a fan of zen parenting radio consider leaving us a review on itunes this helps people find us you can also just tell a friend about our show that's our favorite kind of marketing Todd and I do speaking engagements about Zen parenting and self-awareness, so if you have an interested group or organization, contact us at comments at zenparentingradio.com. And get your early bird tickets for our big Let's Get Real Zen Parenting Conference February 24th and 25th at the Westin in Lombard. Todd and I will be speaking Friday night, and we have Rob Bell, Rosalind Wiseman, and Ali Smith as our keynotes on Saturday. If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's award-winning books at zenparentingradio.com or Amazon. If you're a guy, I have two resources for you. I coach guys. It's called Coaching for Guys. (laughs) On the phone, Skype, or in person, we set goals together and come up with a plan to meet those goals. The website is toddadamscoaching.com. And we also have a monthly men's group. So if you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with, check out thetribemensgroup.com. If you ever shop on Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. If you want an amazing vehicle to teach your kids about money management, go to the lower right-hand side of our homepage and click on the FamZoo logo and enter Zen Finance as a promo code. I want to give a special thanks to our three partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, John J. Kelly Dentistry, and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support. Keep on trucking.